Good morning, it's Avalora, and I'm going to be reading um, the first two chapters of our Christmas series for Sunday School, Because of Bethlehem, by Max Lucado. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and start with chapter one, and I hope that you enjoy this. Um, It's a really wonderful book, and it's beautifully written. I love Christmas. Let the sleigh bells ring, let the carolers sing. The more Santas, the merrier. The more trees, the better. I love Christmas. The ho-ho-ho, the rooty-toot-toot. The thumpity thump thump and the pa rum pa pum pum. The silent night and the sugar plums. I don't complain about the crowded shops. I don't grumble at the jam-packed grocery store. The flight is full. The restaurant is packed. Well, it's Christmas. And I love Christmas. Bring on Scrooge, Cousin Eddie, and the official Red Rider Carbon Action 200-shot range model air rifle. You'll shoot your eye out. The tinsel and the clatter and waking up to see what was the matter... Bing and his tunes, Macy's balloons, mistletoe kisses, and Santa Claus wishes, in favorite dishes, holiday snows, warm winter clothes, and Rudolph's red nose. I love Christmas. I love it because somewhere someone will ask the Christmas questions. What's the big deal about the baby in the manger? Who was he? What does his birth have to do with me? The questioner may be a child looking at a front yard display. He may be a soldier stationed far from home. She may be a young mom who for the first time holds a child on Christmas Eve. The Christmas season prompts questions. I can remember the first time I asked those questions. I grew up in a small West Texas town, the son of a mechanic and a nurse. Never poor, but certainly not affluent. My dad laid pipeline in the oil fields. My mom worked 3 to 11 shift at the hospital. I followed my brother to elementary school every morning and played neighborhood ball in the afternoons. Dad was in charge of dinner. My brother washed the dishes, and I was in charge of sweeping the floor. We boys took our baths by 8 and were in bed by 9 with permission to do one thing before turning out the lights. We could read. The chest at the foot of the bed contained children's books, big books, each with a glossy finish, in bright pictures. The three bears lived in the chest. So did the big bad wolf and the seven doors and a monkey with a lunch pail, whose name I don't recall. Somewhere in the chest beneath the fairy tales was a book about baby Jesus. On the cover was a yellow hayed manger. A star glowed above the stable. Joseph and a donkey, donkey equally big-eyed, stood nearby. Mary held a baby in her arms, and she looked down at him, and he looked up at her. I remember looking at them both. My dad, I mean a few words, had told my brother and me, boys, Christmas is about Christ. In one of those bedtime, book time moments, somewhere between the fairy tales and the monkey with a lunch pail, I thought about what he had said. I began asking the Christmas questions. In one way or another, I've been asking them ever since. I love the answers that I've found. Like this one, God knows what it is like to be human. When I talk to him about deadlines or long lines or tough times, he understands he's been there and he's been here. Because of Bethlehem, I have a friend in heaven. Because of Bethlehem, I have a savior in heaven. Christmas begins what Easter celebrates. The child in the cradle became the king on the cross. And because he did, there are no marks on my record, just grace. His offer has no fine print. He didn't tell me, clean up before you come in. He offered, come in and I'll clean you up. It's not my grip on him that matters, but his grip on me. And his grip is sure. So is his presence in in my life. Christmas presents from Santa, that's nice. But the perpetual perpetual presence of Christ, that's life-changing. 
God is always near us, always for us, always in us. We may never, we may forget him, but God will never forget us. We are forever on his mind and in his plans. He called himself Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew chapter 1 verse 23. Not just God, not just God made us, not just God thinks of us, not just God above us, but God with us. God where we are, at the office, in the kitchen, on the plane, he breathed our air and walked this earth. God with us. We need this message more than ever. We live in an anxious times. Terrorism is living up to its name. Terror, violence hangs over our planet like a dark cloud. Think about the images on the news, the senseless attacks, the bloodshed, the random acts of cruelty. And guys, this book was written um, in 2016. And I think most of us would agree, you know, these things are still occurring. Um, but he goes on to say, and as if the malice are inadequate, there is the fear of another recession. We seem to teeter on the edge of bull markets going bare and the financial world going down. The shepherds stayed awake watching their flocks by night. You've been sleeping with one eye open trying to keep watch over your stocks by night. And there is more. The job you can't keep, the tumor you can't diagnose, the marriage you can't fix, the boss you can't please. We can relate to the little boy who played the part in the angel of the angel in the Christmas story. He and his mother rehearsed his lines over and over. It is I, don't be afraid. It is I, don't be afraid. Yet when the Christmas pageant began, he walked onto the stage and saw the lights and audience and he froze. After an awkward silence, he finally said, it is me and I'm scared. Are you scared? If so, I may I suggest that you need a little more Christmas. I don't mean a dose of... Uh, Santa cheer or double spiked eggnog, that's not Christmas. Christmas, as my dad said, is about Christ. Christ's name occupies six of the nine letters for crying out loud. This isn't Santamus, Shoppingmus, or Rangermus. This is Christmas. And Christmas is not Christmas unless you receive the message from Bethlehem. I think I said that wrong, guys. Instead of Christmas, I think I should have said Christmas. But you get the point. Have you, in the hurry and scurry of the season, have you taken time to receive the promise of the season? God gets us and God saves us. God is always near us. By the way, Bethlehem was just the beginning. Jesus had has promised her a repeat performance. Bethlehem Act 2. No silent night this time, however. The skies will open, trumpets will blast, and a new kingdom will begin. He will empty the tombs and melt the melt the winter of death. He will press his thumb against the collective cheek of his children and wipe away all tears. Be gone, sorrow, sickness, wheelchairs, and cancer. Enough of you screams screams of fear and nights of horror. Death you die, life you reign. The manger invites, even dares us to believe the best is yet to come. And it, and it could all begin today. But if it doesn't, there is a reason. No day is accidental or incidental. No acts are random or wasted. Look at the Bethlehem birth. A king ordered a census. Jesus was forced to travel. Mary, as round as a ladybug, bounced on a donkey's back. The hotel was full. The hour was late. The event was one big hassle. Yet out of hassle, hope was born. It still is. I don't like hassles, but I love Christmas because it reminds us of how God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. The heart-shaping promises of Christmas. Long after the guests have left and the carolers have gone home and the lights have come down, these promises endure. 
Perhaps you could use some Christmas this Christmas. Let's do what I did as a six-year-old, red-headed, flat-topped, freckle-faced boy. Let's turn on the lamp, curl in the comfortable spot, and look into the odd, wonderful story of Bethlehem. May you, f- may you find what I have found, a lifetime of hope. All right, so that was chapter one, and it was absolutely beautiful. So I'm going to go ahead and do chapter two. It's called God Has a Face. Why do we punch elevator buttons more than once? Why do we love the front seat of the bus and the back seat of the church? Why do we pierce holes in our bodies and hang jewelry from them? Why do we ask for instructions and then argue with the person who gave them? Of what purpose is a necktie? Rational behavior is not one of our trademarks, but if you want to see people on the edge of insanity, just watch the way families treat their babies at Christmas time. The poor child has no warning. He's just starting to recover from the slide down the birth canal when the family begins decorating him as if he were a puppy in the dog parade. Red furry stocking cap and a white ball on the end. Goofy elfish shoes that curl at the toes. When this baby becomes a teen and wears baggy jeans and sports a tattoo, grown-ups will groan at the sight. But dressed as six-month-old in suspenders and reindeer antlers, that's cute. And the gifts we give. The little one can't get out of, can't get out of her crib yet. Yet ever earnest mommy has her hooked on phonics. He can't even walk without help, but and Grandpa gives him a Louisville Sluggers baseball bat. And the pictures we take. Baby teething on ornaments. Baby snoozing under the tree. Baby on Santa's lap. Santa with a wet spot on lap. We make such a fuss. Bring the baby into a room and everything changes. Grandma reaches up. Grandpa wakes up. Conversations shift from politics and presidents to pampers and pacifiers. This time of the year, babies take center stage. And well, they should. It's not, is not Christmas the story of a baby? Heaven's seed and wound and Mary, minuscule yet mighty, a fetus yet a force, God descends a birth canal, born, creator cradled in a Bethlehem barn, infant yet infinite, asleep yet a king, God gurgles in mama's arms, baby. This is the this is the Christmas moment that shaped all the others to follow. On a starlight night, in the company of sheep, cattle, and a bewildered Joseph, Mary's eyes fell upon the face of her just born son. She was born weary, surely in pain, in pain likely, ready to place her head on the straw and sleep the rest of the night away, probably. But first Mary had to see this face, his face, to wipe the moisture from his mouth and feel the shape of his chin, to be the first to whisper, so this is what God looks like. People have always wondered about the image of God. Societies have speculated, tribes have cogitated. Sorry, I probably didn't say that right. And we've reached a variety of conclusions. God has been depicted as a golden calf, a violent wind, an angry volcano. He wears wings, breathes fires, eats infants, and demands penance. We fancy God as a ferocious, magical, fickle, and manacle, a God to be avoided, dreaded, and appeased. But never in mankind's wildest imagings do we consider that God would enter the world as an infant. The world, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became not a whirlwind or a devouring fire, but a single cell, a fertilized egg, an embryo, a baby. Placenta nourished him, an amniotic sac surrounded him. He grew to the size of a fist, his tiny heart divided into chambers. God became flesh. Jesus entered our world not like a human, but as a human. He endured puberty, puberty, pimples, hot weather, and cranky neighbors. God became human down his very toes. He has suspended the stars and ladled out the seas, yet he's, he suckled a breast and slept in a hay. 
Some years ago, I wrote a chapter titled 25 Questions for Mary, in which I imagined the ponderings that Mary had about Jesus. The idea captured the imagination of an elementary school teacher, and she asked her students to make a list of questions they would have liked to ask Mary. Here's some of the questions. Could you believe that you were pregnant for, a whole, for, for the whole world? Were you scared of not doing a good job? What was Jesus' first word as a baby? Was he beautiful? Did he ever get sick? Did Jesus misbehave? Was Jesus born with hair? What was his favorite food? Did you feel any holier? Did he ever have a pet? These are legitimate questions. The fact that we can ask them raises a greater one. Why such a journey? Why did God go so far? A chief reason is this. He wants you to know that he gets you. He understands how you feel and has faced what you face. Jesus is not out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 16. Since you know he understands, you can boldly go to him. Because of Bethlehem's miracle, you can answer these fundamental questions. Does God care if I'm sad? Look at the tear-streaked face of Jesus as he stands near Lazarus' tomb. Does God notice when I'm afraid? Note the resolve in the eyes of Jesus as he marches through the storm to rescue his friends. Does God know if I'm ignored or rejected? Find the answer in the compassionate eyes of Christ as he stands to defend the adulterous woman. Jesus radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Jesus himself stated, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who has seen me weep has seen the Father weep. Anyone who has seen me laugh has seen the Father laugh. Anyone who has seen me determined has seen the Father determined. Would you like to see God? Take a look at Jesus. Um, so the next part of this chapter, I'm going to kind of summarize a little bit. Um, but it's, a, it's based on a true story um, about George Harley, um, who in 1926, he founded a medical mission among the Mano tribe of Liberia. Um, so while he was there, you know, he, he built a clinic and a chapel. And during, you know, his first five years, he, and eventually he treated more than 10,000 patients. Um, however, during the first five years, no one visited the chapel. So shortly after they arrived, um, Dr. Harley and his wife, they had a child and, um, he ended up having um, a medical disease. So he um, was running one day across the field, but he fell down. Then he got up and ran some more, but he fell again. And this time he didn't get up. And so Dr. Harley was writing and he said, I ran out and picked up the feverish body of my own little boy. And I held him in my arms. Bobby, don't worry. Your daddy knows how to treat that tropical fever. He's going to make you better. And Dr. Harley tried every treatment, um, but the fever raged and shortly after it took the boy's life. The parents were distraught with grief. The missionary went into his workshop, and he built a coffin. He placed the boy inside and nailed it. He lifted the coffin on his shoulder and walked toward the clearing to find a place to dig a grave. One of the old men in the village saw him and asked about the box. When Harley explained that his son had died, the old man offered to help him carry the coffin. And Dr. Harley told a friend what happened next. So the old man took one in the coffin, and I took the other. Eventually, we came to a clearing in the forest. We dug a grave there and laid Bobby in it. But when we had covered up the grave, I just couldn't stand it any longer. 
I fell down on my knees in the dirt and began to sob uncontrollably. My beloved son was dead, and I was in the middle of an African jungle 8,000 miles from home and relatives, and I felt so alone. But when I started crying, the old man cocked his head in stunned amazement. He squatted down beside me and looked at me so intently. For a long time, he just sat there staring and listening to me cry. Suddenly, he got to his feet and ran back to the village. And he, the whole time, he was screaming again and again at the top of his lungs, White man, white man, he cries like one of us. That evening, as Harley and his wife grieved in their cottage, there was a knock at the door. Harley opened it, and there stood the chief among and almost every man and woman and child in the village. They were back again the next Sunday and filled the chapel to overflowing. They wanted to hear about Jesus. Everything changed when the villagers saw the tears of the missionary. Everything changes when we see the face of God. He came with tears too. He knows the burden of a broken heart. He knows the sorrow this life can bring. He could have came as a shining light or a voice in the clouds, but he came as a person. Does God understand you? Find the answer in Bethlehem. Gaze where Mary gazed, look into God's face, and be assured if the king was willing to enter the world of animals and shepherds and swaddling cloths, don't you think he's willing to enter yours? He took on your face in the hope that you would see his. All right, guys, that was the first two chapters. Um, I hope that you, um, I hope you really enjoyed it. I think this is a very special book, and I think this book just offers so much hope. Um, and if anything, we all need hope, you know, during this time. And um, I hope you'll tune in next week for um, our next next chapters. Um, the next two are Saved from Ourselves. And chapter four is Hope for the Holidays. So I hope you enjoy it. And we'll just go ahead and close the prayer. Lord, thank you for this Sunday and this Christmas season. And that we you know can look forward to celebrating you and the joy that you brought to this world. And we are so thankful that you are the Savior. Help us to be a light to others this week as we go through our day. Help us to show the Christmas spirit to those who may not believe in Christmas. And we just ask for any um, unspoken or, or prayer requests that any of the listeners may have, um, that you just ask, um, that we, we just ask that you uh, answer any of those prayers. In your name we pray. Amen.